Have you ever left home, gotten in the car, driven on the road, maybe about to get on the freeway or on your way to work, and then you thought to yourself, uh-oh, did I leave the stove on? Have you had that feeling where you're like, oh, man, I have this reoccurring obsession that I left the garage door open. I'm not quite sure why. Sometimes I could be way down the road and I turn around. I got to go back because I think. But some people do it with the stove, right? Oh, oh. And then, and then you worry and you're concerned. And did I leave the stove on? Did I leave something in the fire? Have you ever left something on the fire? Usually if it's a pot. It's a broth, a soup or something, slow cooking. Even if you leave the fire just a little bit on, it begins to dry, dry until it burns and it cakes on. Have you ever left something in the fire or had the feeling that you left something in the fire? Well, as we've been studying the story, my wife turned to me the other day and she's like, you left them in the fire. You're still in the fire. And I have felt in some ways that if we've been studying the story here in the book of Daniel that some people have been left in the fire. So would you please pick up the story with me? We're in the book of Daniel. We are in chapter 3. Last week we talked about how uh, this group of young men uh, raised to believe God, raised to acknowledge who God was, had been put into a situation, a challenging situation, where their faith, their beliefs, their words had to come face to face with their actions. You remember the story for those that haven't been with us the last couple of weeks. I'm just going to catch up to speed really quick. Young men and women from the Hebrew nation had been taken captive by the Babylonian Empire and been brought to, to, to Babylon, which was the great world power at the time, the greatest empire of their day. And they were made to be servants. And along the road, along the way, the specific group of young men had been tested and challenged to give up their faith, to give up their belief in God. But they, have held on, they had held on to God held on to what they had been taught, and they had been put into situations where this was challenged. But each time when they held on to their beliefs, God had blessed them and prospered them. And you recall the story here. We, we, we talked about it last week, how um, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, had created this great big statue and said everyone must bow their knee and worship this great big statue. Uh, when the sound of the music uh, hits, everyone has to go down. And, and these young men would not because they said, we will not bow down to anyone other than our God, the God of heaven, the most high God. The king had gotten upset and he had ordered a furnace to be turned on seven times heated up more than usual. And he had threatened them, if you don't bow down when you hear the sound, I'm going to throw you in this fire. And they said, do you remember? They said, oh, king, go for it. Do you feel lucky? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. They looked at the king and said, we're not scared of you. We know that our God can save us. He has the ability to do that. And we know that we think he will. But even if he doesn't, still, we would never bow down to you. And of course, the king was furious. Recall the story. He was so upset. He ordered it heated up and he got the strongest men to come and bind these young men and throw them in the fire. And it was so hot that the soldiers who threw the men died in the process. But the young men were in the fire. This is where we were last week. And we talked about how sometimes we feel that God should just deliver us before we have to go into the fire. That if we profess a belief in God and we trust in him, that, that he should excuse us from any pain and any process that, that might hurt. But these young men are actually thrown into the fire. And there... Jesus shows up and he's with them. And that sometimes in our particular life experiences, we have to be in the fire, through the fire, so that certain things have to be burned up while God is transforming us. 
And we read at the end of our, of our conversation last week that the, the king looked. This is at the end of chapter 3. You can follow along with me. This is uh, chapter 3, verse 24. And then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we threw in the fire? And they said, yes, of course, king. You're always right because you're the king. And he said, but look, I see four men, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. And then Nebuchadnezzar came down and he got as close as he could and he yelled out and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come on out of there. Come on out. You remember? And they came out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and, and everyone looked and they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. The robes were not scorched and there was no smell of fire in them, but the ropes had been burned. The things had been holding them as they fell into the fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him, defy the king, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve and worship any other god. Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other god can save in this way. King Nebuchadnezzar got up to the furnace and he said, I've never, this is impossible. I don't believe this just happened. And he said, these guys are on to something. And he said, all of you guys, everyone, everywhere, no one should talk bad about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego's god because no other god can save in this way. He was full. He, in the moment, he got... He got all hyped up. And he started saying this stuff. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had been in the fire. And now they had come out. After our sermon last week and after we talked, uh, I've had a chance to have a number of conversations with people in our community who have found themselves in the fire. In situations that put their lives, their livelihood, their health, their relationships at risk. And they've been asking themselves and challenging their own beliefs, asking themselves, where is God and how come I'm in the fire? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to go into the fire rather than turn their back on their God. And the Bible tells us that in the fire, Jesus shows up. Not before. In the fire, Jesus shows up. And then, and then the king is so amazed because they have not been burned. When he calls them out, he gets excited and he says, these guys are onto something. They are servants of the most high God. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very cool praise. Except that it doesn't necessarily mean that Nebuchadnezzar is a servant of the Most High God. He's just recognizing that they were servants of the Most High God. In fact, the phrase Most High God implies that there are other gods. This just happens to be the Most High of them. And so the Bible says that the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He brought them out of the fire. They had faced this moment in their lives where their beliefs, their core ideas about themselves were finally put to the test. It wasn't just an issue of diet. It was literally choose God and die or choose other and live. That's what the king's offer was. 
Choose your God and die. And these young men said, you know, God, you know, King, our God can save us. And we believe he will. And if even if he doesn't, we still won't choose anybody else but God. You remember the story. And, 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 and they had to, they had to. Have you ever wondered about yourself? Have you ever considered what you would do if you were placed in a situation where it was either praise God or die? When I was a kid, I'm a pastor's kid, so you got to know this is just what we do. You know, we... We, we, uh, this is what we, this is pastor's kids world where we imagine ourselves being heroes of the Bible and being heroes of the last days of the end times. And my brothers and I practice this all the time, you know. You don't understand. I get it. Like, if we're ever in a pool, we play baptism. That's what, (laughs) that's what we do. That's, that's a pastor's kid's game. And so we would talk about and, yeah, oh, well, yeah. Well, when the last days come and, you know, we've, I've seen videos. I've seen the movie. You guys seen the movie? No? Okay. See, pastor's kid. Uh, and, and so we pictured ourselves and our, our gameplay was like, yeah, we'd be running in the mountains and the soldiers are going to get us and we're going to go, I will never bow down. You know, we're like, that's, that's our, like, our hero play. But have you ever really considered what you would do if you were put in the situation where you had to choose God or death. And most of us fancy or think of the idea that, yeah, when it comes down to it, push comes to shove, we all stand up for God, right? I'll be a hero. Accept that. You are never going to choose God in that moment if you don't choose God now. When you're out of the fire. These young men would have never followed God into the fire if they had never followed him when God said, don't eat that. And you don't want to hear that from me, but I'm telling you. There's no way you are going to trust God with your life if you don't trust him with your stomach. Am I right? There's no way suddenly you're going you're to grow some courage in the moment when your faith is challenged. If when it's time to choose right and wrong when nobody's looking, there's no way. That's the way God works. He asks us to trust him in little things as we move on to greater things. And these young men had found that the only way they were able to follow God into the fire was that they followed him into the kitchen. And, and, and when the king saw this, he was amazed. He, he couldn't believe Have you ever imagined what you would do in that moment? See, we like to think that we would, you know, rise up to the challenge, but you've got to look a little closer. You've got to look at what decisions you're making now when it comes time to hold your tongue at home when your husband or wife really makes you mad. That, that, that's, that's where it begins. That's where the process of transformation begins. And these young men had been following and been faithful to God all along the way. So when the ultimate test came, they said, we still won't bow down. And they got thrown in the fire. And now they come out, and suddenly everyone is like, wow, I can't believe that just happened, including the king. So he says, everyone, pay attention. These, these guys know something. Let's praise that God. Nobody messed with him. In fact, it's a little different. He says, don't nobody mess with him because apparently no one can do what that God does. But it's a... It's a, not a capital G. It, it, it's a small G. What Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing in this moment is, a, is fear, but not trust. And so the Bible tells us that when he called them out, 
the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, this is the way God works. Sometimes you are put into situations that test your resolve and your faith and your belief, but what God intends to do through that fire is to grow the glory of his kingdom. You need to see that. Sometimes the situations that you're currently in, that you're being challenged by, that you're, you're struggling with, God intends for you through that process to grow the glory of his kingdom because when you come out of that, you said the only reason I'm out is because God saved me. That's where the difference lies. And these young men came out and said, we are servants of the Most High God. Even Nebuchadnezzar recognized that. And so he put them in charge of greater things in the kingdom. Oftentimes when we are faced with situations that are very difficult, very challenging, all we can see is ourselves. All we can see is what's in front of us, and we don't understand the greater picture of God's kingdom that he intends, even through these negative circumstances, to grow, to grow his kingdom. And so these young men were suddenly in charge of greater things. God's name was being proclaimed. But the epilogue is fascinating. You heard it here during our, our children's story but let's, let's dig for a little bit, okay? The focus now shifts onto the king himself, great King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to read along. We're in chapter 4 of the book of Daniel. Please grab a Bible, open your smartphone, Apple, iPads, whatever you got, uh, Nexus, S4, whatever you got, and uh, put us your Bible app and follow along with me, Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, <clears throat> this is a letter written by the king, and he says, to the peoples, nations of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. And then he says, it is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. And then he writes a worship song. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. It's fascinating. This is King Nebuchadnezzar, the one who has, who has destroyed the Hebrew country and taken captive God's own people, but he's now writing a worship song. And then he begins to explain how he got here. I'm going to read fast. So you follow fast, okay? I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and, uh, contented and prosperous. And I had a dream that made me afraid. Now I was lying in my bed. Images and visions passed through my mind, and they terrified me. So I commanded all the wise men be brought before me to interpret the, the dream for me. And when the magicians, enchan- enchanters, astrologers, and, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. And I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult so here's my dream interpret it for me these are the visions i saw while lying in my bed i looked before me stood a tree in the middle of the land its height was enormous and the tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky and it was visible to the ends of the earth its leaves were beautiful fruit abundant And on it was food for all. And under it, the beasts of the field found shelter. And the birds of the air lived in its branches. And from it, every creature was fed. And in the visions I saw while lying in my bed, I looked, and there before me was a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. And he called in a loud voice, and he said, Cut down the tree, and trim off its branches. Strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. And let the animals flee from under it, and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground in the grass of the field. 
Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals and among the plants of the earth, and let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by him. And the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict, so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Daniel, tell me what it means, for no one else can interpret it for me. But you can, because the Spirit of the Holy Gods is in you. King had had a dream before. You recall the, the dream about the large statue with the head of gold and Daniel had interpreted for him, and, 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 and Daniel had, through that dream, given the king a few words of counsel, but the king ignored all that. Out of that dream, all he could come up with was this great golden statue. So now, the Bible tells us, after that experience of the fire and these, these young men having been delivered in the presence of the king, it would, it would have an impact on the kingdom. But the epilogue begins with the king recalling something. He recalled that after these events, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his kingdom was blessed. So he describes himself as content and prosperous. Remember that? I just read it at the beginning. The king is saying in a way, things were looking up. Things were going great. Because he had given room for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego to have places of authority in his life and in his kingdom, God had used them to bless the entire kingdom of Babylon. And so the king prospered. And then he had this dream. And the dream is an explanation of what was going on with the king. He had grown like a large tree. He had grown in, in, in his dominion. And it says the tree touched the sky. It was the, the greatest kingdom of the land. And this king in particular had such a great and magnanimous reputation. And everyone was blessed by the kingdom. That's, that's a symbol of the birds and the beasts. But then there comes this message. He says, in my dream, to cut the tree down. What does it mean? And Daniel begins to interpret. I'll read fast again, so follow along with me. And Daniel says, he was perplexed for a time, and his thoughts were terrified. So, so the king said, Daniel, don't be afraid. Just go ahead and tell me what it means. And, and, and he answered, my Lord, if only this dream was meant for somebody else instead of you, the tree that you saw, which grew large and strong, touching the sky, beautiful leaves, abundant fruit, providing food, you, O king, are that tree. You have become great and strong, and your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. He says, it's true. This is true about you. you you've done well. You have prospered. You, your kingdom has grown, and it's swallowed up lands and people, and now you're like, you're the world power. He says, but you, O king, saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven, saying, cut the tree down. Leave the stump and let the stump lay there in the field and let it be drenched with the dew and let it live with the wild animals until seven times past. This then is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree that the Most High has issued against you. You will be driven away from your people and you will live like the wild animals and you will eat grass like a cow and be drenched with the dew of the heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, 
please accept my advice. Okay? So the, <laughs> the, the king lays out the dream. Daniel says, okay, I, I don't want to have to tell you this, but there's the deal. You're the tree. You have grown big and tall, and your shade stands all over. But the messenger has come and has ordered. And what this means is that your kingdom will be taken from you, and you're going to live like an animal. You remember the story here. You're going to live like an animal for seven times. That's seven years. So he says, this is what's going to go down. But then he turns to the king and says, okay, so please take my advice. Here's the advice. Renounce your sins and do what is right. Renounce your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. And it just might be that your prosperity will continue. See, here's what Daniel is doing. He is interpreting the meaning of the dream, but you have to understand that when God issues a decree, when God sends a message, they act as warnings. They act as uh, uh, things that they're conditional. God says, this will happen unless you, you change your ways. The things that happened in, in, in the king's life, both the dream of the, of the great statue as well as this event of the young men in the fire, were warnings. God was trying to get his attention. God was trying to convince him of something. God was trying to express to him that he is the only God. And, 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 and Nebuchadnezzar kind of got it a little bit, but not completely. So finally came this dream where God says, you've got time, but you need to understand that there is only one sovereign that's an important word. We'll explore in a second. God says, yes, you've got power. Your kingdom touches the sky. You're doing well for yourself, but I am still the sovereign one. And so Daniel says, so let me give you some advice. Take my advice. You've seen God act already. You remember? You've seen him. You remember the fire, the furnace? You remember? Now, change your ways. Don't just acknowledge God with your words. Acknowledge God with your deeds. Change your ways. Change your ways, and it just might be that God will let your prosperity continue. God might just be merciful to you. The king had the, had the warning, and then the story continues. And all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. He's still writing the story, by the way. Twelve months later, a whole year he had, he had opportunity for a whole year to think about it, to process it, and to change his ways. But a whole twelve months later, the king was walking on the roof of his palace, and he said, Wow, is not this the great Babylon that I have built, a royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? So the king is walking around his palace, surveying his majestic city, and he says, wow, what an amazing thing that I have done. And the Bible tells us that the words were still coming out of his lips when suddenly a voice came from heaven and said, this is the decree. Your royal authority has been taken from you and you will be driven away from your people and you will live like the wild animals and you will eat grass like cattle. Seven times will pass by. And just like that, the king went mad, just like you heard in the story. Just like that, the king became an animal. Now, we don't know because the Bible doesn't completely explain itself, except that the king was replaced. He was removed. He ended up wild. His hair grew out. The Bible says it looked like feathers. He had 
dreadlocks. His heads were so long. And, and the Bible tells us that he had to be driven out, and he was out in the fields. We don't know how he survived. We don't know how he lived. But he was like an animal for seven years. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar had been fulfilled, and he was driven, and he ate grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle, and his nails were like the claws of a bird. For a whole year, Nebuchadnezzar had been sitting on this. He had God's counsel in the form of a dream, and he had witnessed God's power in the form of the furnace for a whole year. And yet, at the end of the whole year, the only thing he could come up with is, aren't I awesome? (laughs) Fascinating, right? It's interesting because I know you've heard the story, you put yourself in the story, and you would think, man, if that dream came to me, if the prophet or the messenger or if the pastor showed up at my house and said, change your ways, I'd do it, right? I'd do it. If God showed up into my house, into my life and said, listen, you got to stop doing that, I- I'd do it. I mean, if God showed up, I'd do it. That's how you think, right? You're like me. You're like, well, if God showed up, I, I would totally do it. If Daniel showed up, I would, do, I would if, if Elijah showed up, you know, Moses, any one of those dudes, I got a list of people that I'd listen to. Any one of those guys showed up. But what if that person, the messenger from God, is your wife? I know what you're thinking. Not possible, Pastor. You don't know her. <laughs> what if it was your husband, your boss? What if it was your teenage son or daughter who said, Dad, Mom, friend, God does not want you to do that anymore. You have seen God's blessing. You have heard the stories even amongst us of how people have been delivered through the fire. You know that God is the most high. What if he sent you a message and said you've got to change? What would you do? See, here's the thing. It's a funny thing. If you look around, it's heartbreaking and hilarious at the same time because the only thing we can come up with, having witnessed the power of God, having seen God deliver others right around us and even gotten us out of the fire is to think, aren't I awesome? Look at me now. Last year, a year ago, last week, last month, man, things were rough. But now, I'm doing well for myself. I'm back on track. I'm back in the game, baby. The only thing we can come up with when God delivers us, oftentimes, is just self-vindication. The only thing we could come up with sometimes is saying, whew, that was a close one. Good thing, after having begged God for mercy and he delivered me, good thing I could just go back to being the same old self I was before God delivered me. Here's what I want you to get. I want you to see this. I want you to understand what I'm getting at. See, we know that God has called for allegiance. God has asked us to trust and depend on him. The thing is, most of us don't trust and depend on him until we are faced with the furnace. And in the furnace, there are no atheists, right? Everyone cries out to God. Oh, please. You know I believed in you all the way. Dear God, we we write songs. When things are rough for us, when you're in the middle of a battle in your life, oh, dear Jesus. Oh, we sing loud in church that time. 
We pay our tithes. <laughs> we come to Sabbath school. When, when we're desperate, we come. But when God delivers us, we think we have been vindicated and we can just go back to being the same old person we were before God's deliverance. And that, my friends, is foolishness. See what happened to the king? Having witnessed the power of God, the king says, wow, dude, let's not mess with that God. But it wasn't long before he said, aren't I awesome? Look at what I've done. Look at me. And then and the thing is, here's, here's why I'm telling you the story. See, here in our church in the last couple of weeks, it's been a wild ride. Maybe in your own personal life, you have mimicked what's going on with us, but at the church, it's been a wild ride. We have been facing some significant issues. We did not know how we were going to overcome but God has miraculously delivered. In the last two weeks, you probably have heard people's testimonies and how God has, in a powerful way, said, I am your God and I will deliver you. And there is no mightier hand than me. And we have been receiving that blessing. And now that we are on the upswing, here's the temptation to think that I could just go back to doing what I was doing before. that somehow God is done with me, that I no longer need transformation, that the only time I need transformation is when I'm in the fire. But no, no. The only reason God is allowing you to continue is because he wants you to finally claim his sovereignty over your life. So if you're like me, and over the last couple of weeks you have experienced some significant blessings from God, consider this a warning Acknowledge God, not just with your words, but now with your deeds. Look closely at what you're doing. It is not enough to praise God with your lips. You have to recognize his sovereignty over your life. And the king didn't get it. A whole year passed, even with the warning ringing in his ears. So it came to pass. But for seven years, he ate like a cow. And after seven years, the Bible says at the end of that time, verse 34, chapter 4, book of Daniel, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. That's significant. He says, I raised my eyes. The concept of raising your eyes means that you finally understand how inferior you are to the heavens. And he says, I raised my eyes to the heaven and then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. And here begins his second, his second verse of his praise song. And he says, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. It is not just my life. It is my kid's life that God has reigned over. And not just my kids, but my grandkids that God has dominion over. No, they can't just do as they please. It is my job to teach them to fear and believe in the most high God. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are nothing because God does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold his hand back or say to him, what have you done? Who do you think you are, God? Who do you think you are to come into my life and tell me what to do? I am my own God and that's the idolatry that God is challenging us in our lives. Two weeks ago we proclaimed that the devil be removed from here because the devil is trying to find a way in. But even in God's deliverance, our selfishness comes back. And the danger we are in right now is the idolatry of the self. We're so self-sufficient, so self-absorbed 
so convinced of our own wits and our own abilities that even when God delivers us miraculously, all we can think about is me. Nebuchadnezzar finally says, no, 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 no. I might be king. I might have great responsibility. I might have a high position in my church or in my business, but there is only one God. There is only one God, sovereign. You know what sovereign means? Sovereign means he cannot be questioned. Sovereign means whatever he says goes. And you don't like the sound of that. Nobody does. Because we are so drunk in our own ego that we think we should say what should go. That I have chosen this path and I think it's the right way to go and no one should challenge me. But God says, I am sovereign. I am sovereign. And why would he use this claim? Because in God's sovereignty, he can finally provide for you and unleash who you are meant to be. See, here's what we don't see from the ground level. We don't see that when we are self-absorbed, all we do is run into dead ends and, and run headlong into fiery furnaces. That's all we're good at is making a mess. But the God of heaven has purposes greater than that for us, for you and for me. And he not only wants to deliver us from the devil's grasp, he wants to deliver us from yourself from your own guilt, shame, ego, self-centeredness, from your own idolatry. He says, at the same time, my, honor, my sanity was restored. My honor and splendor were returned to me. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to the throne, and I became greater than before. But now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And, all, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. He finally gets it. He doesn't say, that, that's a cool God, but nobody mess with him. He says, no, no, no. He is the God, and everything he does is just. And he says this after he's lived like an animal for seven years. Do you see that? He begins to recognize that he led himself there. And here's the thing for you and me here at the church, Okay. God has been doing amazing things in our community. He's been blessing us left and right. And sometimes we are tempted to think, yeah, that's pretty cool. God's all right. But I'm going to still do whatever I want to do. And it's just a matter of time before that blows up. It's just a matter of time before that just leads you right back into the fire. If you have experienced deliverance from something significant, in the last couple of weeks, or if you need deliverance, I want you to know that when God saves you, he doesn't just save you to let you loose again. He saves you. He reclaims you for his purposes. We gotta acknowledge his authority over all our lives. Not just that particular furnace. Not just at my job, but at my home too. Not just in my finances, but in my behavior. Not just at my church, but amongst my friends. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He knows. God has for us a plan. And the amazing thing is that he's willing to contend for us, even though we continually ignore him. That's why this, this, this warning is so merciful from him. 
because we don't deserve it. All we deserve, all Nebuchadnezzar deserved was to stay a cow. To hear his words, look at what I have done after God, after God had blessed him. That's what he deserves. But God says, if you just look up to the heavens, I will restore you and make you greater than before. It's a crazy promise. That's all we've got to do. We've got to finally look up and embrace God's sovereignty. It's amazing because we do not deserve it. We're not entitled to it. We do not earn it and cannot earn it. But he's still willing to give it to us. He's still willing to bless us. But we've got to acknowledge it and allow him to reign over our entire lives.